Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. Jesus forgave us of all sin, past, present, and even future sin. Andrew brought good news to me. I could understand the Bible more the way he taught it. Jesus forgave you one time, and that's for everything. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Tuesday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today, I'm continuing to teach on a series that I've entitled, uh, Observing All Things. And this is just a continuation of what we did about making disciples, that a disciple is a person who is a learner of the Lord and specifically of His Word, of His instructions that He's given us in all things, not just heaven and hell related things, eternal things, but how do we function in this life? And so one of the things that I've been dealing with for the last week is talking about creationism as the Bible depicts it instead of evolution. And I know that there are a lot of people who will believe, well, I believe in evolution. I just believe that God caused it. You know, I've heard people before say that, you know, there was this big bang and these elements expanded and all this stuff. I always want to ask them, well, where did those elements come from? Where did the big bang come from? And it doesn't matter what they say. They say, well, it all started from a one-celled animal. Well, where'd the one-celled animal come from? Well, it was a primordial ooze and all of these substances. Where did all of the ooze come from? Where, you know, if you just keep talking that evolution you, and keep tracing it back, even if they believe in the Big Bang billions of years ago, whatever, where did the substance come from? Sooner or later, they've got to come to the place, well, it just existed no, there are some people that will say, well, there was a creator, and I believe that the creator is the one that started all this, but then there was the Big Bang, and then there was the evolution from a one-celled animal to this incredibly complex people that we see today. And there are some people that believe that God is the one that caused evolution over millions and millions of years. And they say things like that to try and reconcile the historical record with the Bible. But I'm telling you, that doesn't hold water. There's so many things. I've already countered this uh, on our program yesterday. I was using Dr. Carl Ball to show that there are many, many flaws in the theory of evolution. It is not a proven science. It is a guess. It's a religion. People who believe in evolution, it's a religion. They're believing it. They want to believe it. I believe that it becomes attractive to people to believe that we just evolved and that we weren't created. That way we don't have to answer to a creator. So we dealt with that. Today what I'd like to do is to play an interview with Dr. Grady McMurtry. And he makes this point about that at the mouth of every major river in the world, not just in one spot, but worldwide, the rivers are depositing sediment at the mouth of these rivers and yet the sediment is only consistent with about 4,500 years worth of deposits, not millions and millions and millions of years of deposit. And so here is a geological fact that I believe really helps establish creationism as the Bible teaches, that the rivers and the things that we see today are after the flood, about 4,500 years ago, there's been 4,500 years worth of deposits and erosions and changes and stuff like that. But the Bible teaches that the flood is what caused these cataclysmic uh, changes 
in the earth. So anyway, this is Dr. Grady McMurtry. This is an interview that I did with him. I'm going to play that. And I encourage you to please get these materials that we're offering. It will cover all of these things that we're talking about and go into more detail. So let's get into your uh, teaching here on the waters cleaved. Uh, I saw this DVD and I was just astounded as you took these maps that basically removed the water and showed the ocean floor and you made some tremendous statements there. Well, and of course also studying the scripture because to, to start with Noah's flood is great, but you also have to look at how God pre-planned everything. If you go to Genesis chapter 1 verses day 1, 2, and 3 and you look at the Hebrew, it says not in the beginning but at. It's specific. It's not nebulous. God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth and the earth was at the time of its creation and the Many English translations say unformed or uh, formless and void. But the correct Hebrew rendering would be without form or formless or unformed. And a void is empty, blank, or unfilled. And so, and the earth was at the time of its creation unformed and unfilled, meaning that God, like a potter, is going to take six days to finish the forming and finish the filling. There's darkness and there's water on the surface of this round ball. And the Holy Spirit is moving, but it's a Hebrew word for brooding, meaning mm -hmm. that like a chicken broods an egg. Yeah. He starts the rotation of the earth on day one, and he's energizing systems. And then on the last thing on day one, God speaks light into existence because he doesn't need stars to do it. Mm -hmm. On day two, it talks about there's a firmament that God is going to make. Now, what happens there is that God actually makes what we'll call an eggshell. And he separates waters above and waters below. There's still water covering the, the surface. But on day three, you'll notice that he causes the dry land to rise up out of the water, and he gathers the seas. And the word is seas. Mm -hmm. Seas are shallow. Seas are up to a mile deep. But he causes the water to be gathered into one place, and the dry land appears. Now, if you had looked at the earth from a satellite at the time of creation, you would have seen 40% of the Earth's surface dry land with a few islands, but the land would have been in one place. The concept of Pangea, as evolutionists would call it, is biblical. Mm -hmm. And 60% of the surface would be water. That's the shallow seas. And so what you'd have is a sea in the Pacific, a sea in the Indian Sea, and no Atlantic because the land mass is fitting together. Well, you know, I've heard this concept of Pangea. Yeah, but it's a biblical concept. It doesn't belong to the evolutionists. I, it came from the evolutionist, and so I kind of dismissed it along with everything else. But, you, but this is how evolutionists take a truth and then corrupt it. Mm -hmm. And so the concept of Pangea is a biblical Christian concept. And the separation of Pangea did occur. We'll talk about that. But evolutionists want you to think it's 120 to 200 million years, and I say it's one. And then I give you the physical evidence to prove mm -hmm. it. But the reason during I'm, the flood. But exactly. And, and, and why I'm mentioning Genesis day 1, 2, 3 is because you have to understand that God in His total omniscience, knowing ahead of time what He's going to need to have happen later and so forth. On day 3, when that dry land comes out and so forth, remember it talks about the separation of the waters above and below. Mm -hmm. And so in this firmament, God is making the, what we think of as the Earth's crust. But it's more like an eggshell. There is extra moisture in the atmosphere, not a lot more to, than today, but some, 5, 10, maybe 15 percent. 
There's shallow seas one mile deep in the Indian and the Pacific, no Atlantic, the concept of Pangaea. But 10 miles down, underneath that eggshell, there's a layer of water a mile deep. In 1909, we actually found the physical evidence of that existence. Today, we now know that there's still large pockets of water that are down there that never came up the first time. Today, we now know that there's at least five to six times more water in the crust than is on the crust. This really is the water planet. Mm -hmm. But when you go down 10 miles, the Earth gets warmer at 90 degrees per mile as you go down initially. So that water is at 900 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Now, simplistically, it's super hot water. It's actually called supercritical water, but it's simply hot water above 212 that's liquid. But now, how does that happen? I thought it would turn well, to steam. Just but like a pressure cooker. Pressure. But you have a pressure cooker. Okay. You're familiar with those. Mm -hmm. And you know that if you keep enough pressure on water, you can get water that's liquid up to, say, 280 in a kitchen and so forth. Okay. And some people will understand about a pressure cooker that didn't hold on. Yeah. And it destroys the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because liquid steam, and that's what this is, liquid steam is perhaps the second most powerful force in nature behind atomic energy. I mean, we launch, we launch planes on a U.S. aircraft carrier to 200 miles an hour in 2.7 seconds based on the power of liquid steam. Hmm. And so this is a tremendously powerful thing. It's what causes volcanic eruptions. Hot rock doesn't explode. It's the hot water that explodes. And so God put it down there in his foreknowledge, knowing he'd need it 1,656 years later. Mm -hmm. And when he says it's time for the, for the flood, if you go to Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, what I call the convenient star verse of the Bible, Genesis 7, 11, uh -huh. <laughs> when it says that the fountains of the great deep yeah. or the springs of waters burst forth or broke open, the actual Hebrew word that is used there is to cleave. Now, I'm a full-time missionary. I'm working in 20 languages on five continents. And I am not concerned about a translation by word, because you know as well as I do in your foreign work. There's no such thing as a, a perfect translation. You always lose something in the translation. And so what I'm concerned about is an interpretation by concept. And the concept there is, the Hebrew word is cleave. Now, to cleave means to come into a knife edge. Uh, meat cleaver is a big mm -hmm. meat knife, right? Mm -hmm. And so what it says is the water's knifed through from below at the time of the flood. And, of course, when you see the maps that we have showing the earth with no water, and these are highly detailed maps of the earth's surface without water, we've extracted it all. You can see the actual proof of where the water's knifed through from below. You can see how the continents were separated. You can see that they would float rapidly because they're on a layer of water, just as a boat pushing away from a dock is very easy. A child can push a boat away from a dock. So since the continents, although they're in one piece to start with, when they're knifed through from below, break the continents up into smaller pieces, they're big boats. We call them continents, but they're just big boats. Mm -hmm. And because they're on a layer of water, they can slip slide away very, very quickly. And as the water comes up, the continents are moving apart. But as the waters come up, just like a boat with a hole in it, the water goes up, the boat goes down. And so the continents are sliding apart rapidly. This only takes one year. But they're also settling because as the water's coming out from underneath, they're trading places. So the water comes out, is now on top, the land sinks down, locks in. The King James Bible has a very interesting term. It says that the surface of the earth is supported on pillars and sockets. That's the King James mm -hmm. Version. Mm -hmm. 
if you think about it, when, the, when this eggshell breaks apart and then is sinking because the water is coming out from underneath, it's not going to be two flat surfaces meeting each other and squeezing it all out. Instead, it's going to be like knuckles, if you, if you allow me. So in between these two knuckles will be the, that's a socket. This knuckle is a pillar. And so it comes in and locks in this way, but that leaves space in here where water is trapped, and we've still found that. We found a sea of water underneath the Gobi Desert, mm -hmm. but it's miles down. You know, there's enough water below the Gobi if you could dig that far down, but we can't. But if you could dig that far down, you can make the Gobi Desert, you know, a garden. Wow. And so all of these processes are going on, and we have the physical evidence that that's absolutely true. And once the earth is flooded, if you take a look at Psalm 104, you have the chronology of the flood, verses 5 through 9. The earth is flooded, the water stands above the mountains, but these are shallow mountains. It's not like the mountains around here. Scientifically, a mountain only has to be a thousand feet or more of elevational difference in a local area. So the mountains before the flood were one, two, three, four, five thousand feet high, but capable of being covered with one mile of water. But that water erodes those mountains that existed from creation of the flood and makes the wet mud layers that are redeposited, the sedimentary rock layers you see around here. Mm -hmm. Then it says in Psalm 104, verse 7, the waters go away. Verse 8, the mountains rose up, the valleys sank down. Verse 9, God promises He'll never flood the earth again. There's a judgment by fire in Second Peter, but there won't be another flood. Mm -hmm. And the mountains that you see around here are the mountains that rose up, verse 8, after the flood. And we see now this all these is things. verse 8 of what? Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Verses 5 through 9. Psalm 104 is one of the eight creation psalms. Mm -hmm. And Psalm 104 is a summary psalm because the first four verses summarize the creation week of Genesis chapter 1. Verses 5 through 9 give you the chronology of the flood with a specific detail. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. And so that's a tremendous vindication. Okay, so you're world. saying that after Noah's flood, there was a lot of volcanic activity that well, created for, there, the massive mountains we have today? Well, the mountains around here are uplifted. That's verse 8. These are uplifted sedimentary layers. But there's a tremendous amount of volcanism as well. When the earth cracks open at the time, allowing the waters cleaving, many people don't realize this, but volcanoes explode because of hot water. And they're not just hot rock. 20 to 70 percent of the material coming out of a volcano is hot water. That's what caused Mount St. Helens to erupt, mm -hmm. Mount Tambora, Krakatoa, Pinatubo. I mean, all these eruptions you might be familiar with of, of recent time or beyond. Let me just say that on your uh, video on the waters cleaved, you have those things documented, yes, the sir. years and the relative strength of them, and it yep. is really a powerful presentation. Well, thank you. Um, but, but what happens at the time of the flood, there's not been earthquake and volcanic activity. But when, once you have an earthquake, once you have a land cracking open, then you have opportunity for hot rock and hot water to come up from below. So initially it's trapped. But when the earth breaks up and the water's knife through from below, there are volcanoes in, in Israel, as you know. And the whole, whole Jordan Valley is one volcanic rift. You know, when you're standing on top of the Mount of Beatitudes, you can see Mount Hatim, which is just an extinct volcano to the west. Or if you go up on the Golan Heights, uh, going towards the Syrian border and so forth, you can see several volcanoes. You can see it from Google Earth. I mean, you, all you got to do is look. And that whole area is very volcanic, and the whole you know, Caesarea Philippi and so forth is where the crack begins. And it goes right down the Jordan River. 
goes down what is now the Red Sea. Now, that wasn't the Jordan River, and it wasn't the Red mm -hmm. Sea before the flood, but it is now. Mm -hmm. And that crack continues out underneath the ocean into the Indian Ocean and goes around the world, breaks off three continents from the others. They slip slide very quickly, and they are then covered by water, covered with wet mud layers. The flood ends. Those layers erode. Others are lifted, folded. And it, you do have tremendous amount of volcanic activity. And that causes an ice age immediately after the flood as well. And this is also mentioned in the Bible in Job, for instance. So can you uh, show our viewers yeah, sure. uh, some of these things on your map? Let's take a little look. This was very interesting. Yeah, for instance, you see when God created the earth here, there's extra moisture in the upper atmosphere. On the That's surface, what's represented here in this is paint. This is extra moisture, uh -huh. just as an illustration. Yep. Um, then you have the surface, but the surface is like an eggshell. And 40% is dry land, and 60% is water surface. But this is an eggshell that's 10 miles deep. Then this is an exaggerated view. It's obviously not to scale. Sure. You couldn't see it. But then there's this layer of water down below that's a mile deep. And then below that, you have the rest of the earth. Now, all of these things are established in Scripture, such as the fountains of the deep were broken up. And that's and, what he's referring to, is this layer of water down below here. And people just skip over that, but this Bible is very accurate, scientific. Exactly. That's why I mentioned day one, day two, day three, yeah. because it talks about how God creates the earth. Then He creates mm -hmm. this layer with waters above and below, causes the dry land to come out, the separation of the waters, and Pangea is a biblical concept. Mm -hmm. And then 1,656 years later, that water is going to come up from below. And that's what's going to cause that one supercontinent to be broken up into smaller ones, allow them to move rapidly in only one year. Mm -hmm. Remember, the earth is only covered with water for 300 days. If you just simply take a look at the scriptures and simply read chapter 7, chapter 8, mm -hmm. uh, they're in the ark a total of 377 days, yeah. 370 from the day the waters start to come out. But the water only covers the earth for 300. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've added all that up. Well, that's just it. So you've got your waters above and then down below the waters below, meaning underneath, and then the shallow seas on the surface. Now, these are highly detailed maps of the earth's surface with the water removed. Now, for instance, uh, I live in Florida, in Orlando, but here's the Mississippi River. And at the mouth of the Mississippi, there's only 4,500 years worth of mud. Notice that the Gulf of Mexico is a big empty hole in the ground. This is not feet, that's meters there. So this is 3.8 kilometers down, a little over two miles. So you've got a, a big empty hole in the ground with a flat surf, sand surface at the bottom and only 4,500 years worth of mud. Now, if the Mississippi were millions of years old, then the entire Gulf of Mexico would be filled in. I mean, this is one of the simplest and easiest ways yeah. to see the Earth is young and evolution is relying. And you've also, they say made, it's old. you've also made that point that every major river in the world is every the major exact river in the world. same thing. And we can see that. Now, uh, I do missionary work in Brazil every year. And here's Brazil. Now, this is northern Brazil. Here's the Amazon River. Mm -hmm. There's only 4,500 years worth of mud at the mouth of the Amazon. And so that would be right in right here. here and there's a flat sand bottom right up against the continent on both sides. Now, evolutionists talk about Pangaea. Everybody in school has seen that the continents do sort of kind of look like they fit together. But you have to ask yourself a question. If you want to know how well they did or did not fit together, would you look at where sea level is today, where they look sort of kind of like, particularly South America and Africa. I mean, everybody can see that. Mm -hmm. But would you want to look there, or would you want to take a look at the edge of the continent? Well, you don't want to look at where sea level is. You want to take a look at the edge of the continent. That's the edge of the continental shelf. 
Now today the continental shelves are underwater, but at one time they were dry land. And when you take a look at the entire Atlantic here, you'll notice, for instance, and I'll go back for just a second, if you take a look at the Gulf of Mexico, here's a big wide continental shelf on the west coast of Florida. Mm -hmm. It's over 100 miles wide. If you go down to South America, to Argentina, you have a continental shelf that's 200 miles wide off of Argentina. And you'll notice that at the edge of the continental shelf, it's not a sawtooth like it is at sea level. Right. It's a nice smooth V. And if you take a look at the Brazil area, you have an in, out, in, out that fits the in, out, in, out in Africa and this nice smooth V here. There's only 4,500 years worth of mud at the mouth of the Congo River. And if you could see this in an actual round globe, because on a flat surface there's distortion of the top and bottom, but mm -hmm. if you could see this in a round globe, you would actually see that the continental shelf of Greenland perfectly, and I mean perfectly, fits the continental shelf of Norway. It's like two pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And you'll see this crack going up the middle here. Now, this is where you have the eruption of hot rock and hot water. The water's cleaving from below. You see it fits the general shape of the continents. You can see it clearly goes like this, which is what you'd expect if something knifes through from below, uh -huh. you'd expect it to go like that. And you'll see here stretch marks. Now, stretch marks only happen when you have something happen fast, like pregnancy, nine months. Yeah, I'm familiar with those. Not yep. for myself, but my yeah. wife. Yeah, you, any, any <laughs> husband's seen them, I think, if they've right. children. But we have these stretch marks showing that this all happened fast. And then if we take a look at the... Now, Indian, what is, excuse me, what sure. does the stretch mark mean in geological terms? How does that Again, mean rapid move, fast? rapid moving. Now, evolutionists would want you to believe that this occurred slowly and gradually. But if that were true, just think with me for a second. If the continents fit together, moved apart as they claim, at an inch and a half, two inches per year for 120, 200 million years, it depends on the evolutionists you ask, then think about this. Mud would wash in from the sides because rain would fall on the continents. Mm -hmm. Mud would wash in from the sides, from both sides, and you'd have a thick layer of mud going across there. But there's no thick layer of mud. Look carefully. Andrew, you see here? This is a flat sand bottom off of Africa and Europe. Here you have a flat sand bottom. As I mentioned, again, uh, the Amazon River has 4,500 years worth of mud, but there's a flat sand bottom on both sides. Same thing with the North American continent here. There is no thick layer of mud. Their story, if you excuse the expression, doesn't hold water. On today's program, Andrew interviewed Dr. Grady McMurtry. For more information about Dr. McMurtry and his ministry, go to creationworldview.org. Throughout this series, Andrew mentions many statistics and scriptures with regard to creation versus evolution. These references, as well as others pertaining to abortion and homosexuality, have been compiled in the Observing All Things booklet, which is Andrew's free gift to you today when you write or call. I'd like to encourage you to get this material. You know, this is different than what I typically teach. I normally just teach straight from Scripture, but we've incorporated into this interviews with doctors who have all of these credentials that can speak to the subject of creationism in a way that I can't. We also have this little booklet that comes with it that has charts and graphs along with scriptures on social issues such as abortion, homosexuality, creationism. This is just, it's a different type of teaching than what I typically do, but it is very powerful. I really felt impressed that I needed to share this with people. These are hot issues 
that affect us today. So listen to our announcer as he gives you information and please get these products today. Andrew's complete teaching titled Observing All Things is available in either a CD or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount when you write or call. This entire series is also available for audio download absolutely free from our website. Go to awmi.net to see all the ways you can get this teaching. We want to say a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to put free ministry materials into the hands of many people in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. You're going to hear things. You're going to start understanding things, seeing things from a different way. This is called a Summer Family Bible Conference. Guess what? That's not just because you brought your kids. It's because in this room, we're family. There's nobody in here that God doesn't want to prosper. He sees a purpose in you that He wants to set free. Listen, you've been sowing, sowing, sowing. It's time for us to reap our harvest. It's gonna completely change the way that you live your life. Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and I want to invite you to come and sit under the Word of God. Four hours a day, five days a week for two or three years, I promise you it would transform your life. You know, God has put it on my heart to make disciples, and the best way I have of doing that is through our Karis Bible College. We not only have our main campus in Woodland Park, Colorado, but we have campuses scattered all over the world. You can go to our website to get information on it, but I promise you, this is a deal changer. Many of you know there's more and you just don't know how to get there. Come and let us help you discover who you are in Christ and who He is in you. It'll change your life. Welcome to the AWM Minute, a quick look at how the friends and partners of Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College are equipping students from all backgrounds and nations to proclaim the power of the gospel. Students like Mohammed Faridi, a former Muslim from Iran who desired to be a martyr for Islam until a close friend introduced him to Jesus and changed the course of his life forever. Every lie that Islam told me that I have to beat myself to humiliate myself, to be sorrowful for my sin, and I have to be killed and sacrificed. He said, it's already done in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you believe in Him, you will have eternal life. And that's the best thing I have ever heard in my life, and that is the best decision I have ever made. Today, Mohammed is a graduate of Karis Bible College and is spreading this message of God's love and grace with others lost in Islam. To watch his full story, visit awmi.net today. I'd like to encourage all of you parents to send your kids to our Kingdom Youth Conference on July the 10th through the 11th right here at our facilities at Karis Bible College. This is the second year that we've hosted this. And I tell you, last year we saw hundreds and hundreds of young people get their life just radically changed. 
I tell you, you need to become a force for good in your child's life. It's sometimes hard to do on your own. We're there to help you. So make sure that you send them on July the 10th through the 11th to Karis Bible College for our Kingdom Youth Conference.